I hope, pray, trust that you have a nice Thanksgiving, whatever that may have been for you. We've been talking all morning in conversations with folks, and they've been, you know, that's kind of the common question, how was Thanksgiving? And I know some of you had very low-key Thanksgivings, which is nice, and some of you had a lot of family and friends, which is usually nice. So whichever it was for you, I hope, I hope, it, was, I hope it was wonderful. It is, it is one of those years, and we've talked about this for a few weeks now, where it's a, it's a very fast transition for us from Thanksgiving to Advent. Normally, we have a Sunday in between those two things to kind of prepare. And, I mean, Advent is on us, and the season of preparation for Christmas is upon us. And that's wonderful, and I hope uh, that we can enjoy and, and worship and celebrate the journey together because it's, it's a... A common refrain, you've heard it probably every year I've been here, but it's, it's easy in, in all of the activity of, of the season to lose the heart of it. And even in churches, even when we're doing living nativities and cantatas and Christmas Eve services, it's easy to lose that which is the, the reason. I, mean, I hate to be cliche. I really don't. You know, I was trying not to say the reason for the season, but, but it's true. And so we're going to begin today a series that's going to carry us through Christmas in which each Sunday is going to be focused on the same theme of the, the, the lighting of the Advent wreath. Each Sunday as we light the candles of hope and joy and peace and love, we're going to, to centralize that theme into the, our worship because each illuminates the truth of what Christ has done for us. Each illuminates the truth of what God has accomplished in the coming of Christ, the bringing of the, the, the fulfillment of hope and the, the birth of peace and, and joy and love. And so each week, even the cantata week, which will fit the, the, cell, the, the candle of joy, which is very, very appropriate, we're going we're gonna to kind of recognize these themes. And, and the, the series title is Restore Us, O Lord. Because each week we're going to look at a psalm. And most, most of the weeks, the psalm, like you will hear today, is going to communicate those exact words, restore us. The cries, the pleas, the prayers, the desire for our hearts to be restored. For us to seek the meaning, the truth, the promise that, that God gives. It's, it's really, maybe in a way to put it, is how Christmas satisfies a hunger. And we think about Thanksgiving, we think about hunger but, but how the birth of Christ is God satisfying a spiritual hunger and a spiritual searching that I think is inherent in each of us. So we begin today with hope. And we look to a prayer in the 80th Psalm, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to jump ahead to 17 through 19. And it is a prayer that's full of, of desperation. There's some anxiety, there's some anger. I mean, there's, there's real raw human emotion in this prayer. But there is also a cry out to God in hope. And I want you to hear these words again. Psalm chapter 80, beginning at verse 1. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine before Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. 
Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on a man at your right hand, on the man at your right hand, the Son of Man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. We speak to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, our prayer is for restoration. And through your word and through the word spoken and through worship and through opening our hearts to your Holy Spirit, we'd experience that, that that would be the fulfillment of our hope. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Friday uh, morning, sitting uh, in the office and... uh, as we, we have a very sophisticated system of communication in the office. Um, if you've not been over there, uh, there's about three, three or four rooms, and it's not very big. And, um, but we communicate in a very sophisticated method over there. When we need each other's attention, we yell. And, and we, just, we just, hey, you know, whoever you need. And most often it's me yelling for Liz, who's two offices over. And I just yell her name and get her attention. It's, it's very, very classy the way we do it. And um, so Friday morning, Liz was actually in the furthest office. And uh, she and, and Beth Ann Ellsbury were in there. They were folding bulletins. And I needed her attention for something, something to remind her or ask her about. And so I yelled her name and I got no response. And I yelled louder, and I got no response. And the third time, I realized she just can't hear me because they were in the office, and the copy machine was running. There's just a lot of noise. So I realized that I had to figure out a new plan. Now, the most common sense thing to do would have been just to get up and walk the 20 feet to where she was, but I wasn't going to do that. That's too easy. So I pulled out my phone and texted her. And I said, Liz, come here. I need you. And I heard, her, I heard her phone go off, and I heard her get it, and I heard her laugh. And, you know, she came in, and we did whatever it was that we needed to do. And it was silly, and it's just kind of the goofy stuff that we do around the office. If you've been around there, uh, we tend to try to keep it light and fun. But, but, it, but it got me reflecting a little bit on this, uh, you know, again, silly, ridiculous to text somebody. who's I do it to Tony all the time. She, she'll tell you, I, she'll be in the office and I'll be in the bedroom and I'll text her something just because I don't feel like getting up at that time. And, and it is kind of ridiculous, but I started to think about the, the evolution of you, if you will, of, of human communication. You know, for, for most of human history, in order to communicate with somebody, you had to physically be in their presence. You had to be in the same room or at least within voice distance of somebody. Unless you were... Uh, royalty or, or some sort of, um, you know, elite class that could send messengers with, with notes, you, you know, you had to, to communicate verbally. As society advanced and technology advanced, you know, we developed systems of sending letters 
in which we could write notes and put them in a mailbox and put a stamp on it and, and get word or communication or instructions to somebody in all parts of the world. And as technology advanced even further, we developed the ability to pick up a device to hold to our ear that would allow us to verbally talk to somebody. For many, many years, that device was tethered to a wall by a cord. But now we carry phones in our pockets. We can communicate sometimes even more than we even wish to. But the evolution's continued because now we don't even talk to each other as much anymore. We send emails and we send texts. And these are ways that, that we communicate, none of which are bad. I do all of these things, uh, obviously. Uh, but but it's, it has, it's just kind of dawned on me that there was kind of a pendulum swing in which communication has become increasingly impersonal. Increasingly text-driven, less and less about human interaction. Uh, sometimes by necessity, sometimes by choice. But, but then here's what I started to, to kind of think about. It feels to me like the pendulum's starting to swing back a little bit. And that is not fully, but, but now we're developing, or we see the development of technologies that take the multimedia, the electronic or the digital reality, and allow us to start to at least have some semblance, even if it's somewhat artificial, but some sense of human communication, uh, of contact. And what I mean is now we can talk to people and see them at the same time. Now we can use things like Skype and FaceTime and, and other programs to, to at least have some sense of face-to-face -face human interaction. And again, these are great things. When I spend the, the, the month in Kentucky um, each summer that I've been there, I love the fact and my favorite way to try to, to communicate and contact and talk to Tony and the kids is on, face, or on Skype, where I can at least see them. And my brother who lives in Denver, I can watch my nephew and see him a little bit more frequently than I would otherwise. It's, it's wonderful. It's great. But I realize that I, I think there is a recognition. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it. But I think that there's a recognition that's happening in that meaningful communication happens in intimate community. What I mean is the most meaningful of our relationships, most meaningful of our friendships, most meaningful family connections, our memories, our, our, our best memories, I would venture to say, are experienced when we're able to have human interaction with each other, uh, physical interaction. I guess it's all human interaction, but physical contact. We were created for that. And all these electronic things are great, but they cannot replace the fundamental need that I think is inherent in all of us to have some intimate human connections in our lives. Now, we, we, we're on a spectrum there. Some, some of you are incredibly extroverted people, and you can have a thousand friends, and you derive energy from that. Some of you are on the other end, and you're introverted people, and you know what? One or two is good. Too many people wear you out. But I've never met anybody that didn't want any human connection, that didn't want any human relationship. That's, we were created that way. Now, here's the point. We're created in the image of God. We're created with some of the character and likeness of God. And so it stands to reason that inherent within every human being is not just a desire to connect with other people, but connect with something greater than ourselves, something deeper than ourselves, something more significant than ourselves, for the creation to connect with the Creator. 
for us to have an intimate experience and a connection with God, to have an, a powerful experience of the presence of the one who has made us in his image. And I venture to say that since the day humanity walked the earth, we've been searching for that kind of meaningful connection. And that search has taken us, and I say us, in the collective human experience in more directions than we can name and searching for truth in more places than we can ever begin to fully understand. But the heart of the search is the same. It's a desire to connect with the one who has created us in in his image. The scriptures, the Old Testament, speaks to that search. And it speaks not only to the search that we have to understand God, but it speaks to God's desire to be understood, to not be distant and hidden from us. And throughout the prophets and throughout uh, the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, then the prophets and, and, the, and the teachers and the law, through all of it, we have moments in which God chose men and women to be the voice, to communicate His will, to communicate His truth, to communicate His desire. And that was uniquely and powerfully important in the formation of the people of God, formation of the community of Israel. But it was still distant. It was still removed. It was still somewhat um, unintelligible to many people. And so something happens in the gospel. Something happens in Matthew and Luke in the birth narratives. Something significant happens in our search for God. And that is, in our seeking to find God, God steps into human history to find us. God seeks in the birth of Christ to remove the barriers to the relationship. To remove those realities that made us very often and make us feel distanced and separated and make God feel way out there and apart from us. In the birth of Christ, God steps into our story. God steps into our reality. God steps into our lives so that we can have, and if you'll pardon me for using the, the, the program language, but so that we could have FaceTime with God and that we could have a deep and intimate connection. That's the heart of what happens at Christmas. God tears down the barriers so that we could have an intimate fellowship and connection with Him. And it's fascinating to me that God chooses to do it in the birth of a child. Keep in mind, God didn't have to do it that way. God could have stepped into human history as a fully grown adult. He didn't have to come as a child, but that's how God chose to do it. And I'm not smart enough, and I don't profess in any way to understand the full purpose of God. I, I would be foolish to sit here and say to you, this is exactly why God did it, because I have that all figured out. But I can speculate a little bit. And I was thinking about that invitation uh, around Christmas the wise men who come to the child, the shepherds who come to the child, Mary who embraces this call of God to be the mother of the Savior. All of this. And I thought, you know, if, if an angel showed up to you 
and, and said, I want to give you an invitation. You are invited to come into the very real presence of God. You are invited to come and to commune with God and to meet God and experience the fullness of God. If you got that invitation, let me not even say you, if I got that invitation, I'd be freaked out. I'd be scared to death because I know me. I know my shortcomings. I know how often I fall short of who God's called me to be. I know how often I drop the ball, how often I fail to live up to the expectations of God. And the thought of coming first in, into the full presence of God would scare me to death. But you invite me into the presence of a baby? Well, that doesn't seem quite so intimidating. That doesn't seem si quite so frightening. I mean, think about it. Who is afraid of a child? Now, you might be afraid of caring for a child. You might not embrace the responsibility. That I get. But, but really, who is afraid of a child? I've never seen one of our kids run in here and any of you run in terror. Well, <laughs> maybe a few. But... Um, in fact, one of the, the great joys I have is, is when, uh, when we celebrate baptisms, and especially in, in a small child, your faces light up. You don't get to see what I see, but your faces light up because there's something just beautifully innocent and inviting and, and profoundly joyful about a child. This is how God enters human history. And I think partly it's to communicate something to us. Coming into God's presence, experiencing this intimate relationship is not something to be feared, but something to be embraced. Because in the birth of Christ, God meets human hope. God steps into our story to fulfill a deep hope that is within all of us. And it is a hope for restoration. It manifests itself in different ways. But I think for each of us, we seek to understand, is there a God who loves us? Are we forgiven for our sins? Do we have the promise of not just this life, but what is to come? Is God with us here and now? I don't know about you, but these are the kind of things, and they frame different, and they shape different, and they may not be worded that way, but they're the kind of things that keep me up at night when I'm thinking those thoughts and I'm wrestling with who God is and who I am and the questions of life that have been before us since God created us. And that's why I read from the psalm today. Because in the midst of this prayer, in the midst of this cry out to God, in the midst of this anger about what the people of Israel were facing and the challenges that were before them and the, the uncertainty they faced, there is this refrain that says, Restore us, O God. May your face shine before us that we may be saved. May your face shine before us. Whose face do you see but somebody who you are in a relationship with? The people are crying out to God. We want to know you. We want to experience you. We don't want to know that you're distant and removed, but that you're intimate and you're here. 
We want the questions answered and the hope fulfilled. And here is the truth of Christmas. The questions we bring are answered in the birth of Christ. The questions of life and the uncertainty we face and, and the brokenness we experience finds restoration and healing and wholeness in the coming of the Christ child. Because in this, God steps into our story and invites us into a relationship that we don't deserve nor do we earn, but is freely given. And in the birth of this child, the journey would begin that would lead the Christ child to the full-grown Savior who would suffer and die on a cross that our sins may be forgiven and our relationships secured with our Creator. This is the birth of hope. It is the birth of a promise that we can trust in a God who does not seek to be distant and removed, but intimate and connected with your story, with your struggle, with your joys, and with your sorrows. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. And it is the unique truth of the Christian faith that we worship a God who has stepped into human history. And it happened in a manger in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And we celebrate it every year. And it's not about trees and it's not about presents. It's about relationship. It is the relationship God gives us through His Son. Your questions may be different than mine, but I know this. You're searching. You're searching for the assurance. You're searching for the answers. You're searching for the knowledge that you are loved and forgiven because I'm searching for it. Jesus answers the search and gives us the hope of things that we can trust in, the promise that we can believe what he says. There's a lot that is going to happen these next few weeks. A lot of great stuff around the season and the celebration. But I hope that we'll take hold of Christ who has taken hold of us. And as we light these candles, we'll remember why we celebrate. And we begin with hope. The hope that God has given. The hope that was born at Christmas. And I pray, brothers and sisters, the hope that you have embraced and received. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the promise that you give us in Christ, the fulfillment of our hope and our desires and our questions that are answered in Jesus. May we embrace that, believe it, and find strength in the barriers that have been knocked down and the relationship that has been restored through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen.